0: oh wow it's uh, been a couple of weeks with this uh pandemic and all but um yeah this is gonna give it another class uh this week's torah portion shalom and um it's been a couple of weeks of the pandemic i hope that uh, everyone is safe and everyone is healthy and uh everyone that needs a uh shalema should have a refor shalema and everyone that needs a blessing in their economic situation should have a blessing in their economic situation and um we should see each other live in shul very very soon so this week's class is called how far are you willing to go and the subtitle is understanding humility and as you know i always start with uh, a modern day issue something that we can personally um, implement in our lives uh, to get over things to get to work out things and then to just have a better relationship with god with ourselves with our families with the universe and uh today's issue is going to be about divine self-reliance so one of the greatest quandaries of faith that i've been asked many, many times about, is the peaceful coexistence of hishtadlut, which means effort, and bitachon, which means trust. I mean it here as faith and trust, and and bitachon. Now, you know, where where does our hishtadlut, our effort, have to go, and where is it, the bitachon? And where do I even just say that God is answering me, that move on, and not this? Uh, these are questions. But for my grandmother, a blessed memory, this wasn't a quandary at all. For her, it was all summed up in her one famous saying. And she used to say it in Yiddish. Um, and I'll just translate it in English. God says, do, and I will help you. Ah, the beautiful simplicity of the faith of yesteryear. However, I speak for myself, in my complicated and sometimes even self-destructive mind, it isn't so simple at all, ever. The you and I tug of war between God and myself, where God ends and I begin in our relationship, where the responsibility and self-reliance of hishtadlut, making an effort ends, and where the entitlement of bitachon trust begins. And frankly, where does the accountability of hishtadlut end? And where does the accusatory victimhood of bitachon begin if things don't work out? And all of this, this whole quandary between the two really boils down that it all is because of a perverse understanding Of both hishtadlut making an effort and bitachon simply having trust in God. Hishtadlut has nothing to do with self-reliance, and bitachon has nothing to do with neither entitlement nor is it an excuse for victimhood. And yes, my grandmother was right. God does say, do and I will help you, but in a far deeper sense than it may read. In the deepest sense, the truth of effort, freedom of choice, faith, and trust in God all coexist and are mutually inclusive. In this lecture, we are going to explore, explore the flow and dance between God commanded us, I shall be sanctified amidst the children of Israel, which is the work of our Hishdad and the conclusion of the verse, "I am Lord. I am the Lord who sanctifies you," are bitachon in God's doing. This lecture is based primarily on a mimer, a Hasidic discourse, the Rebbe delivered on this Shabbat in 1965, exploring the three crowns of God. And now let's jump into some introductions. Number one. In our prayers, we recite the verse in Isaiah, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says that in his vision of the chariot, he saw this Seraphim, the fiery angels, say this. Now the question is: why do this seraphim say, and we repeat in our prayers three times, Kadosh, holy. Our sages explain this with a parable. They give an interesting parable of a king's subjects uh, uh, who made for their king three crowns and they gave it to the king. And what did the king do? The Medrash tells us the king put one on his own head and then put two on the head of his sons. So too, the Medrash says, the supernal beings, the seraphim, the angels, they say to God, And they crown God every day with Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Three crowns, three holies. And what does God do? God places one on his own head and two on the head of the children of Israel. Okay. And then the Medrash concludes that this is what the verse states. For I am holy and you shall sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy. So what we have here is, I am holy. That's God talking about his crown on his head. And then God puts two crowns on our heads and says, you shall sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy. Okay. Now, let's talk about this in Kabbalistic terms. In Kabbalistic terms, the three crowns are A, the supernal crown above the emanation of wisdom, above all the emanations. B, the crown upon the six masculine emotions, known as small faces. And just to share with you quickly what they're called, kindness, strength, beauty, victory, splendor, and foundation. And then the third crown, C, is the crown of the feminine emotion emanation, which is called kingship. So there we have the three crowns, according to Kabbalah, exactly where in the system of the evolution from the infinite to the finite, where exactly they're placed. Now let's take a look at it in Hasidic terms. In Hasidic terms, we always want to translate it into our service to God. So the three crowns are, A, the connection to holiness through our yearning from below to above, we yearn to be one with god the second crown is the flow of holiness from above to below through torah study and the third crown is the flow of holiness from above to below through mitzvot observance so we have below to above the yearning to be one with god going up transcending and then we have the bringing down in the study of torah and the bringing down in the study of doing midspot. okay let's go to one more introduction now that we spoke about the three crowns okay i'm sorry let's go further with this um with the class something just happened on my laptop i'm sorry about that okay so let's talk about this the verse says in leviticus Pashas Kedoshim, it says speak to the entire congregation of the children of israel and say to them you shall be holy for i the lord your god am holy now our sages in the midrash explains the verse to be saying as follows you shall be holy A commandment. God's telling us. So you may think that you could be as holy as me. Yachal kamoni. And what is the answer? Thus the verse teaches us and says, for I am holy. Meaning that my holiness is above your holiness. Yes, God commands us to be holy. But nevertheless, God is telling us that we can never obtain the holiness of God. Now, upon this teaching, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, the Tzemach Tzedek, third Lubavitch Rebbe, he says simple words, this is wondrous. tamua. And what does that mean? The Tzemach Tzedek is expressing wonder in how could one ever think that his holiness would be like the holiness of God to which God has to say and forewarn. You may think I'm telling you to be holy. It means as holy as me. You should know. No, I have a different, total different state of holiness. That's what the Tzema Tzaddik says. This one is amazing. Comes along, rab Azariah de Rossi, who wrote a book called Moor Enayim. And he expounds upon the verse that the words of our sages could be as holy as me should be read as a statement not in question form but rather that god is telling us you can actually go ahead and be as holy as me just practical and simple simple and the insight to this is because if you read the verse god says you shall be holy and God explains why and how can you be holy. Key, because, Kaddish Ani, I am holy. Which means that it is God's holiness which is empowering us to be holy. Thus he's saying that God is empowering us to be as holy as him. Okay, thus we have two Torah opinions in which one is that to obtain the holiness of God is unfathomable, while in the other opinion, it is simply practical. Okay, now let's start the lecture, because what does this mean? Okay, so as you know, I always start the lecture with giving a list of the mystical concepts that we're going to talk about, and then later we'll wrap it all up and get practical. So today we're going to talk about four mystical concepts. Number one. The difference between holy number two and holy number three. Number two, the tzaddik's question of holy number one. Third topic, the baleteshuba statement of holy number one, and then finally, so who is wearing crown number one? Okay, and now let the amazement of chassidus begin. So the difference between holy number two and holy number three. Let us start with the easier crowns, which is holy number two of Torah study and holy number three of mitzvot observance. Now, in order to begin with this, let us get the definition of holy. What does the word holy, kadosh, mean? So it is defined by our sages as separated. Holy is muvdal, kadosh moved muvdal. Now, what does this mean? It means as in being separated from the mundane. When we say this person lives a holy life, what it means is that this person has completely separated himself from the mundane and lives a life of spirituality and selfless service. Thus, we say he is holy. Now, when we talk about God, what do we mean when we say God is holy? What we mean here is that God is Kadosh, he is separated from the universe and all its creatures. In other words, we have our scientific understanding of what properties and parameters define the concept of being. Has to have a beginning, has to have a end, a, a definition, a form. God's somethingness defies and is separated from all our properties and pra- parameters of what a something is. Thus, we call him Kadosh. Now, on a mystical level, we take it further. On a mystical level, we speak as God being Kadosh in the sense that, and here we're going to talk about two different levels. There is the finite linear light of God, which shines and permeates and vivifies the world thus this light engages with the world as the soul engages with the body and it it permeates into the body thus this light is not called kadosh it's not separated it engages it becomes one now however there's also the infinite circular light which only encompasses all of the universe but cannot be grasped and internalized by creation We're finite, this light is infinite, thus it's only circular and encompasses, it's not linear and it doesn't permeate. Now this light is referred to as kadosh separate. Another way of saying this in Kabbalistic terms is that the 10 emanations, that the 10 emanations which serves as a transformer, bringing in the infinite light and giving finite definition to light, This finite linear light are those which engage with the universe, while the supernal crown above and transcendent to the ten emanations can only encompass the world. And thus, as a crown which encompasses above the head of the king, we refer to three times Kadosh as the three crowns. We're talking about the infinite circular light. Now, For those who may be listening to this for the first time and are saying, oh my God, this is Kabbalistic, I'm not used to this, just be patient. Trust me, it's my job, duty and honor to be able to translate all of this in a digestible form. But I do have to get out there the Kabbalistic terms and concepts that we're talking about. Okay, now this leads us to a question. Crown number one is the supernal crown above all of the ten emanations. However, we said that crown number two and number three are within the system of the ten emanations. So that means that we're dealing with that which engages and is permeated and digestible to the universe. So, why are we calling that crown a kadosh, which means it's separated? The answer takes us to a Kabbalistic rule that all crowns maintain a separate system in which they interrelate with each other. Thus, the crowns upon the six male emotions are not of the quality of the emanations, but of the original supernal crown. And so too with the crown on the feminine mystique emanation of kingship now let's start getting practical with this we can understand what the latter two crowns are torah and mitzvot are not of the finite linear light with which the universe was created torah and mitzvot are not of the same quality of the divinity in mother nature and science rather they are of the primordial infinite circular will of god they're holy the holy torah mitzvahs are holy therefore when we study torah and when we perform mitzvot we are don- we are donning the kadosh crown of god down here in our world however there is a difference between the two the crown of torah study albeit studied with a physical human brain and mind nevertheless by its very nature it's a spiritual experience therefore crown number two can only be drawn down into our spiritual dimension which are emanations four the nine the first six emotion emanations however being that mitzvot observance is a physical experience Therefore, the crown of mitzvot observance, crown number three, can be drawn down even into our physical dimension, the final emanation, number 10, kingship. Okay? So now let's just sum this up in in digestible words. So when we talk about Mother Nature, we talk about the soul of existence that gives life to the universe that we know. That is engaging, it's linear, it's finite, and ultimately we don't refer to it in Kabbalah as kadosh, holy and separated from the mundane, because it engages and it vivifies the mundane. Now, when we talk about Torah, God's Torah, we're talking about a total different quality of light. We're talking about That which comes from the primordial, the infinite wisdom of God and the infinite will of God. Now, when we study Torah with our physical finite capacity of a brain and a mind, we are donning and drawing down the crown of Torah into the physical world. So it's from above to below, it's on the head of the sun, you and I studying Torah. However, studying Torah is still, in the sense that it's metaphysical, intellectual, spiritual, it's drawn down into our inner spiritual dimension. While when we physically do mitzvot, what's happening is that we are drawing down the will of God into the physical dimension of our beings. The house has a mezuzah. The food we eat, we made a blessing. The money we earn, we give charity. That's physical experience of the infinite will of God. And thus crown number three comes all the way down. Okay, now let's get to the more difficult one. Crown number one. Okay, we already discussed that in crown number one, there are two dimensions. There's the one dimension that we spoke about, which is quote unquote, wondrous to even think that we could experience god's holiness and then there's the other dimension which is quote unquote it is simply practical that we can experience god's holiness okay now and in understanding the two dimensions of holy number one i want to introduce the two different understandings of this crown number one we're gonna get kabbalistic for a moment Just be with me. It's all going to fall into place. Earlier, we defined the kadosh separated as referring to the infinite circular light, the will of God, which the world cannot internalize. And therefore, it is separated in that it only encompasses the world and does not permeate it. However, on a higher dimension of understanding this, The mere fact that it encompasses the world already speaks of some form of relationship, some form of engagement with the world. Therefore, on a higher dimension, even this dimension of light is not the ultimate experience of kadosh. Rather, the ultimate experience of kadosh, the holiness of God, is not the light at all. Not even the infinite life, but rather the essence of God, of which we say in our prayers, You are He before the world was created, you are He from when the world was created. And Malachi says the verse, For I am God, for I, God, have not changed. Now, the theme behind this prayer and this verse is that the world truly has no significance of any influential change within the essence of god and thus here alone is the ultimate experience of kadosh separated i want to get a little bit more kabbalistic so we can define it in the crown in kabbalistic terms this refers to the two dimensions of the supernal crown in which the lower dimension called long faces, that's the Kabbalistic name for it, and there's a reason, defined as the infinite will of God, is the dimension of the crown that needs to be made to the size of the head. That means the rim of the crown, which touches the head, has to be brought to size. Thus, there is an engagement. However, there's also the higher dimension, which is called Atika Kadisha. Now, sometimes Atika Kadisha is called ancient one, like we call the city, the old city of Jerusalem, Yerushalayim Atika. And sometimes it's called from the word netek, which means lahatik, to detach, the detached one. Now, this is defined in Kabbalah as pleasure of God versus the infinite will of God. Now, this represents not the inner rim of the crown that has to be made to fit the head of the king, but rather as the rest of the crown with the jewels and expanded with. And if you really wanna get into Kabbalistic depths definition here of these two dimensions, I'm just gonna share with you one more Kabbalistic concept. And that is that within the ancient one, the detached one itself, we divide Kadosh from that which engages. Now, the lower seven emotions of pleasure is what drives and connects with the will. Thus, that's still not considered kadosh. While the three heads, i.e. the crown, wisdom, understanding of pleasure, which is the experience of essence of self, completely detached from any will for something out of self thus just in short i know this was very kabbalistic but what we're talking about here is that even the infinite light which we defined previously as crown number one detached we're here defining as nevertheless engaged while the essence that is truly called kadosh now let's see where we're going to go with this How does this play out in our relationship with crown number one? The two opinions concerning crown number one, whether it is unfathomable or whether it is practically obtainable, is speaking of two different types of people in their different types of service to God and thus relationship with God. One is the tzaddik, the righteous one, and the other one is the baal teshuvah, The returnee. When we speak of it being unfathomable that one should experience the holiness of God, we are speaking of the tzaddikim. Now you may have thought otherwise. Follow me. Here is a person who studied Torah and performed mitzvot all his life, and he is growing in holiness from one in an organized fashion from one level to a higher level. Okay, that's beautiful. However, such a person in working with his capacity of growth is experiencing crown two and crown three, engaging with the absorbing and absorbing the finite light divinity within creation and even the crowns of Torah and of mitzvot given to us here on this world. However. Their, their relationship with crown number one, the tzaddik, the righteous, holy person's relationship with crown number one, the for I, God, am holy, is that such a holiness is wondrous to them. In other words, in their understanding, how kadosh and infinitely separated it is from them. Therefore, the tzaddik's relationship with this crown upon God's head is their yearning going up for being one with God and with his holiness. Thus, it is an experience of from below to above in their yearning to transcend their finite capacity of beingness into the true beingness of God. Now, and even in this yearning, being it comes from their own study, understanding, perception, and holiness. The extent of their yearning is to the lower dimension of the supernal crown. Through it having somewhat of a relationship to them. So, now let's go to the Baal relationship with this, with the Baal relationship with this holy crown number one. The Balchuva, the returnee who has sinned and is returning with an unbridled passion to God. Let's see something very interesting. Our sages, it's a Yalkut Shimoni medrash. It teaches us where the source of teshuvah comes from by sharing with us a conversation that took place between wisdom, prophecy, Torah, and the Holy One, Blessed Be He. Now, obviously, they're talking about mystical concepts, but they talk about a conversation in which the supernal Bet-Din, the heavenly court, is asking the same question of wisdom, of prophecy, of the Torah, and of God. And I'm going to quote to you this, Medrash. They asked wisdom, a sinner, what should be his punishment? Wisdom answered, evil will pursue the sinners that's a verse in proverbs okay they asked prophecy a sinner what shall be his punishment and he said to them the soul that sins it shall die that's a verse in ezekiel prophecy they asked torah a sinner what shall be his punishment and he said to them let him bring a guilt offering and he will be forgiven The Torah says, if you bring a sacrifice known as a guilt offering, a karbon asham, you'll be forgiven. They asked the Holy One, blessed be he. They asked God, a sinner, what shall be his punishment? And he said to them, let him do teshuva and he will be forgiven. And then the Medjish concludes, this is what the verse in Psalm says. God is good and upright. Therefore, he leads sinners on the road. And they explained that it means that God, he shows those sinners the road to do teshuva. Okay. Now,